Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. Today, we have Perla Tamez. She's a visionary serial entrepreneur, speech pathologist, and public speaker. For the last decade, she's dedicated her life's work to empowering others to unlock their potential. And you've started a thriving outpatient pediatric clinic, and you do advocacy work for healthcare and children's rights policy. So I'm so excited to have you as a guest. So thank you so much, Perla. Hi, it's my pleasure. To me, it's a better lived life when sharing. So anything from tips, advice to products to dollars, anything is uh, mine for the world. Yours for the world. And so how did you get started in this? Did you start as a a speech pathologist and then it grew from there? Yes, correct. So uh, my profession, I'm a speech language pathologist assistant. I have a bachelor's degree in communication science and disorders which makes me a speech pathologist assistant. So better said, a speech pathologist is the one that's going to evaluate a patient on their needs for any speech deficiencies. And the speech therapy assistants are the ones that do the treatment. At the age of 20, I graduated from the university with my bachelor's. I started working on my first job outside of my family's companies, right? So that's when I was professionally working for somebody else. And uh, shortly after that, I want to say nine months from being on the job, I felt I was ready to launch my first company. And so right before uh, I was almost turning 21 years old, I launched my first company, which that baby is now going to be 13 years old. I started in my bedroom in my parents' home, and I had two small daycare facility in a border town of Texas with Mexico. And they were the ones that gave me the opportunity to be treating patients in their daycare centers. And basically... They offered me a closet. That's where I was going to have my space to treat our patients. And so that's where my dreams started. They started in a closet by 10 by 10, filled with old stuff that the daycare didn't need, right? And so when I saw that closet, I was grateful for that opportunity. And I just saw an abundance of dreams rather than abundance of unnecessary items, right? And I turned that into my working habitat. And that's where my dream started almost 13 years ago. I started in that little space. And then how did it grow from there? The good choice that I made is for me at that time was going to knock the doors of the hometown that saw me grow. Right. And that was kind of like the first step for me being able to knock on a door and having somebody open their doors to me. Right. And that's why I went to that town because that's where, where I grew. But It turned out to be that I was servicing the population most in need at the time. And so because our services that we were providing were not common in that area and there was a ton of children that needed these services, that's how I got a very rapid success because I was serving a population that was in high need and where our services, speech therapy services were not reaching, right? And so I want to say a year from that, I opened two locations, actual facilities, you know, 3,000 square foot facilities in this town. 
And so thanks to that population that was turned out to be a niche to me at the beginning was like my easy route to knock on that first door and ask for an opportunity turned out to be my huge success. Right. And at the age of 24, I became a self-made multimillionaire because uh, we were already generating several millions of dollars, but I was able to, to kind of report my first income tax return over a million dollars at the age of 24. So I mean, I got to pay a lot of taxes. I was very successful, but um, it's not fun to make a big check <laughs> to the and, IRS. And then pay all those in taxes back. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a duty that we have as Americans. You know, we, we, we get to live in this amazing country. And so that's where my success came from. And we remain in the industry. We have had very highs and very lows in our industry. We get regulated by uh, Texas legislature mandate year to date, you know, uh, I want to say since 2012 to now, there's been about an 80% decrease in what we used to get paid. And so wow, this is your testament. If you stay in the business, when the golden age of what we used to get paid is not there, it's because you really do it for a passion. And so in all the businesses that I've developed throughout the last 13 years, I've been involved in 17 different startups that continues to be my baby. And I do it because I have a passion to rehabilitate and support my therapist to rehabilitate others' lives. When you were starting off, it sounded like you were a practitioner at first, like you're working at, in your parents' home and you had two big clients. And then going from now you were able to open two facilities. How did you make the switch from being a full-time practitioner to now being able to become an operator and make that switch into being like that business-minded versus always stuck into the, the daily work? The daily work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, very good question. Uh, my, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, right? My my mom started her first business with a shoe store back in the in the 90s, right? In, in that small border town that I refer to as Hidalgo. And so at that time, I was seven years old. So my afternoons were coming out to the shoe store and preparing the displays and then putting the shoes back in the boxes for, for the end of the day. And so that was my job. And then from there, my parents ventured into several other industries. And that was always my afternoon hangout, right? And so I, I, I tell my parents that I was, I've been working many, many years. And it's about time that I retire now in my early 30s. <laughs> uh, because I've always been helping them in their companies. That gave me the ability to be able to see operations, be able to, you know, develop a company culture, and I've always liked to hang around with my people. So my people, I see eye to eye to them. You know, I don't consider myself like, oh, um, I'm the boss. I am the dictator. I like to be more of a leader. And I like to allow my people to let of their creativity kind of like a flight, right? Let's, let's see where we're going to go because many minds think better than just one. And so thanks to that evolution that I've been through since I was very, very small, right? I've been able to get all these business acumen under my belt. Mm -hmm. And then when I started my company, I had to remain working to be able to pay my staff. When you open up an outpatient rehab facility, they don't pay you immediately. They take about a year to put you on the payment mode because, you know, they want to test that you're in compliance, that you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so my paycheck was the investment to my company. So I would work at my first job. Right. And from that money, I would pay my therapists that were seeing patients. So it was, that was my risk taking kind of first leap into business because 
I didn't know how I was going to make it right. But all I knew was that this paycheck was going to go directly to pay a therapist that were taking care of the patients at this center that gave me the opportunity to be providing services to their kiddos. After I started getting paid, then I resigned at my job and I came on full operations into my company. And I would see patients as well at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I developed more of a devotion for mm-hmm. operations and scaling. And uh, I haven't seen patients in many, many years. I haven't treated patients in many, many years because uh, I consider that there's people that have a bigger passion on site, on job, and the patients one-on-one to be delivering that care. I think that my strengths are better devoted to the operations and scaling of the company. Yeah. And how have you been able to manage when their pay has been significantly cut in recent years? Like you, you were saying, went down 80%. It's heart-wrenching to have to come to your therapist and tell them, guys, effective next month, there's been a 40% reduction to the pay from our payers to people that render the services like us. And we're going to be making modifications to your pay. It is extremely hard. And I can tell you that in 2014, when it was the the more crucial of these cuts to the state of Texas regarding speech therapy services, you know, we went through very difficult situations where we were having therapists have their cars repossessed outside our facilities. I had therapists lose their homes because imagine that you get paid $10 for something and, you know, you make your life based on the revenue that you have, based on your salary, right? And then tomorrow somebody knocks your door and says, by the way, you know, effective in a month or in a couple of weeks, you're no longer going to get $10. So you need to go and readjust your life and you have two weeks because then you're going to get paid five. So what do you do, right? This is what you've been doing for so long. This is what you went to school for. And so when we were getting wind of uh, situations like this arising in the state of Texas and that we're going to be passing through the Texas legislature, I would let my therapist know and, and, and I would let them know with time so that they can readjust their life's living expenses to be able to adapt to what was coming. But more than anything, I would let them know, listen, if you're doing this for the passion of helping kids, we'll be able to get through this together. But if you were only here for the paycheck, this is a time where you need to go. Because when the cuts come, you're not going to be able to deal with the frustration that when you see your paycheck, it's 50% less and you're still working the same amount of time. Yeah. So this is where your passion gets put through a test because I'm not going to be getting paid the same and I can't pay you the same and vice versa. You know, it was several years where I went without a paycheck because there was no money for that. There was no money for corporate office. There was no money for the CEO. It was just like kind of making ends meet because as a company, we had to restructure from having 5,000 square foot clinics, even up to 7,000 square foot clinics, having to downsize to a 2,000 square foot clinic because we were not going to be able to pay that kind of debt or that kind of rent on a building, right? So even therapists having an awesome play area for a patient that was uh, 300 square feet, I had to downsize it to a small little office. So in the business world, as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to deal with the highs and lows. And that's what makes a real entrepreneur when you have the gut to deal that, you know, you're doing super, super good. Everything's phenomenal, but in business, nothing is guaranteed. So you need to be ready to deal with the very, very lows and the sleepless nights and uh, put every penny and every inch of faith that you got into your business. If you want to make it work, because if not, you'll go out of business. Was this because of demand? Was the demand not meeting? Was it just not there? 
the demand for therapy services has always been there. There is a budget cuts in the state legislature okay. when, when those changes pass and get approved by the Texas legislature, then they have to come back and cut the providers. You know, it's, it, it happens to hospitals, dentists, and just anybody. Yeah. And year to date, according to the office of inspector general of the state of Texas, only one out of every 10 therapy providers in the state have been able to survive these changes. Mm, and I bet COVID and this year has been especially difficult. Now, is this what forced you kind of realizing, you know, this isn't always going to be steady. Is this what forced you to reach out and explore new entrepreneurship opportunities? Definitely. Yes, definitely. And along the way, again, that was my profession, right? And that's what I had a passion for doing. So I've dealt with the highs and lows of that profession because it's like when you're married for love, you will deal through sickness and anything that comes your way. It's exactly the same thing with a business. When I was trying to seek other opportunities to diversify in business, I've also made wrong decisions, right? I tried to do a business that I wasn't truly, truly passionate about. And when it had a low, I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I can't take it. So you know, throughout these last 13 years, it's almost going to be 13, uh, 17, sorry, startups that I've done from scratch. It's been a whirlwind of experiences, but to this day, it's been kind of, I have an MBA degree, but that's been like the best MBA cases that I can do for myself because I've made a lot and I've lost a lot. And what I've lost, I don't take it as a loss. I've, I've just gained amazing lessons, right? That that are real life scenarios of what happens in, in the business. Mm-hmm. What are some of those challenges that are, are typical when you're starting out and you're, you're new, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Is there any insight that you can offer about someone who wants to become an entrepreneur and, and go out on their own? Yeah. What the number one golden rule that I recommend entrepreneurs is invest and or work in something you love to do. Because if you don't love to do it, whenever that business goes through a low, you're gonna call it quits. You're gonna be tired, you're not gonna know what to do, you're not gonna find a solution. So whatever you invest in and whatever you decide to be a business operator in, make sure you love it Mm -hmm. so that you can be able to go through the highs and lows. And I see that you also started like a fashion magazine. You got into real estate. How has that turned out for you? Have you stuck with those ones? Have those just expanded your portfolio of of your reach? Yeah, I continue to be in real estate. But for example, the fashion magazine, that was something that I was super excited about because I love fashion, right? And I said, oh my God, you know, the fashion industry... Uh, needs a magazine and people, you know, of, of elite taste need to be able to receive this magazine in their home. And we're going to have amazing sponsors and we're going to do all in-house content and we're going to hire the talent and it's going to be beautiful, right? It turned out to be beautiful, but I was not ready to deal with the culture and artistic culture that comes with a magazine vibe, right? Which was, You deal with artists, you deal with editors, you deal with writers, you deal with photographers, totally different people than 
my model of profession, you deliver a job, you have a license, you deal with compliance, you deal with patients, totally different, right? At that time, I was accustomed to different types of operations. And it was a very costly operation because I also wanted to in-house everything instead of outsourcing everything. And so nine months in, I had spent over a couple hundred thousand dollars and it, it, it wasn't fun anymore. I was like, this is spending too much money. I'm not getting my ROI on my investment and it's a bit of a headache. I'm going to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I come to. I wasn't really passionate about, you know, it was kind of like a hype and I got lost in that hype and I made a business investment that at the end I was like, uh-huh. so I wasn't ready to, you know, do a editorial review at three o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning because I'm, I wasn't used to that. Right. Yeah. And so things like that, that if you're not used to and you're not ready to deal with will make your business decision sour. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the golden rule. Deal with what you really, really want to deal on a daily basis, rain or shine. What other um, ventures have you done that have been also very successful or that you still work on heavily today? Yeah, so um, I've done uh, staffing, which we still do, right? We staff operations, technology, managerial kind of duties to, to other companies. Real estate is something that we continue to do because it's a very noble kind of process, commercial investment, and then you lease, right? Mm-hmm. What else? Recently, I have been very, very involved with philanthropy. There's a foundation that uh, I am very involved with that's called We Are All Human, and we have an initiative called Hispanic Star, and I lead the operations of hubs. And in the last seven months, we have developed over 30 hubs around the country, and we have set support with uh, product donations and food, paying people's utility bills, paying people's business rent. In the last seven months, we've supported 280,000 people and have put out in product donations over $5.5 million. Mm. And how do you get the time for this? So how do you manage as you're growing and you're learning? Yes. So I love what I do, right? So it's uh, everything is incorporated to my day to day. Basically, I, I work, I have fun and I have my family, which is the most important thing to me. But it's all like one big life. You know, it's to me, it's not like, I start at 8 a.m. on the dot and then I'm watching the clock until 5 p.m. and then I'm done. Everything is just, I'm an entrepreneur. That's me. That's my life. That's my passion, right? So everything just gets blended into my everyday. And then, of course, I have amazing managers and amazing right hands and amazing people that I delegate to. So that's one of the most important things as being an entrepreneur and trying to scale. You need to learn to delegate and you need to learn to pass others your responsibilities, because if not, there's no way you can handle it all, right? So going through that process is a whole different separate conversation because in order to delegate, you have to be able to dance with your ego to let the control go. Oh, that's good. What do you mean by that, Perla? (laughs) That's a big one. Um, In order to delegate, you have to dance with your ego to let the control go. And that's really, really hard. And that takes several years to master and the easier you do that the faster you'll be able to savor your success Mm. because if you're held hostage to your operations if you're held hostage to your business it's a little too much to handle 
the, 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 there's no fun in it, right? Yeah. So there has to be a point where you reach the equilibrium of I'm successful. This is where I want it to be. And this is where I am. But in order to do that, you have to let the control go and you have to delegate to the people you trust. So uniting your team and making the right team for your operations is something super important because then that goes into what company culture have you developed? Mm-hmm. Have you developed a loyal, trusted family knit or are you a dictator? And if you're a dictator and you're dancing with your ego all day, you can't let your control go, then you're never going to delegate. And those are the people that are usually hostage of their job, their business, or whatever venture they have going on because they're so uptight with their operations, right? That they want no mistake. Mind you, we're all humans and we make mistakes. There's better lessons to be learned when mistakes are being made. You know, there's mistakes that have cost me millions, literally. What has been your most awful mistake that you're like, man, I really wish I didn't do that. I have one awful, awful mistake. When I was very early, I want to say between 24 and 25 uh, years old, I invested in a technology company in California. And that technology company ended up being a fraud and they ended up doing misusing our funds, right? And then when you report to the IRS, you report a loss for a bad investment. But to my luck, the year before that, there had been a law passed, a federal law passed that when you are going to report a loss, it has to be like set on stone that it's a loss. And if there's a lawsuit in place, you have to have a judge order that your investment was totally lost. And so I reported a loss. I was going through a lawsuit and the judge hadn't yet ordered it was a loss, right? So when I got an audit from the IRS, they said, okay, we understand that's a loss, but you still have to pay us taxes on that income because a judge hasn't said that it's a loss, right? And so that process took three years and uh, those attorney's fees ended up costing over a quarter of a million dollars. My investment had been like almost half a million and my uh, IRS uh, paid penalties and interest on the income of that 500 was like uh, over a quarter million, uh, no, actually close to half a million dollars, sorry. So that was a one point and change million dollar mistake. How do you recover oh. from that? <laughs> you, don't you know, you work hard, you work so hard to make your first million dollars. And then a few years later, you're making a, a million dollar mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just have to bear that pain and deal with it and learn from it and never and never and never ever make sure that it happens to you again. Yeah. And, you know, my mistake was I didn't listen to my attorneys. Uh, when I was signing on that deal, I had red flags from my attorney saying, Perla, you know, this doesn't look right. Um, but there was a family member involved. So I kind of trusted that family member, not knowing their alternate motive. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was uh, I was advised not to do the deal. And I went ahead and I did it. And so I had to pay the consequences. And so, you know, I'm not a sore loser. I, I, I look at it with the eyes of what could I have done with a million dollars? Let me make sure that it really, really hurts. So I don't make that mistake again. And then um, moving forward. Uh, I guard myself 1000%, you know, unfortunately, no matter if it's family, if I'm going into a deal, I have to make sure that things check and balance. Right. And yeah. Listen to legal counsel. Are you married? Do you have any kids? 
I am divorced. I do have a nine-year-old and uh, I'm currently in an amazing relationship with, with a younger man. Oh, Petla. <laughs> so, um, so cougar yeah, vibes. Yeah, the cougar. I, oh, actually, well, these are got the stripes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I, I had a great marriage and I was married to an amazing man. At the time, uh, we had to live in, in different states and I was traveling to and from California too much. So we kind of grew apart you know, we had to part ways, but we remain great friends. We are still great friends and I am in an amazing relationship right now. I did have my emotional struggles like just anybody else, because sometimes, you know, you have to pass through a difficult emotional situation to kind of value who you are, what you deserve and stuff like that. And I'm sure, you know, when I lived that, that person that I was with also had great lessons from dealing with me because I'm not easy. And, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, I take great experiences. Any problem to me is like a great lesson. Yeah. yeah. And you Where there's pain, just dig in because there's a really good lesson behind it. There's a really good lesson. Cause that probably was hard going through divorce, managing all these companies, trying to figure out how to keep your, your therapists, uh, paid and themselves. So you, you mentioned earlier that this year has been one of the toughest years for you. Explain how COVID-19 has impacted you and what this year has been like. I am a COVID survivor. You are a COVID uh, survivor. I am. Um, we can get a check, by the way. <laughs> you, know, you know, some people were getting a check. I'm COVID survivors. I need a check. Um, I know uh, COVID struck the world by surprise. It's been a whirlwind of lessons with all of the COVID, especially I think that the biggest lesson that COVID leaves behind is valuing those who really, really matter in your family. And if you're distant from your family, if you live far away from your family, you need to keep close to that bloodline. Because at the end, if you're searching out there who is like you, who's compatible with you, who, sh who shares the same affinities as you, you don't have to look too far away. It's your blood. It's yeah. Your family. It's your siblings. But Sometimes, you know, people get a little bit disconnected and this is a time to, to reunite. So COVID has been a year of losses, of emotional losses, of uh, losing lives, kind of finding out that you were so tied to a situation or a person and you come to find out that you're kind of losing your time because the interest was and the importance was not there, but it was over here. Or vice versa, you know, maybe you were disregarding what was really important to your life and COVID made you realize what is really, really important or reinforce what you were doing right. With that said, on the other note, you know, with our philanthropy, we have done amazing things and help people recover from COVID. So, you know, taking that balance always, you know, we always want to make sure that we're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Looking at you, right. It, a lot of people would say this is a very successful woman. She started her own business. She's developing herself, her individuality um, and helping others do the same. How do you define success though? Success is measured by how many times you failed and you've gotten back up. Period. Some people, you know, want to measure success in money. I understand. You know, it Wait, what did you do with your first million dollars? Like, what did you do with it? <laughs> I'm just playing. No, um, 
I reinvest a lot of my money into these startups. You know, I, I, I don't work with investors. As a matter of fact, I am an investor myself. So I reinvest a lot into my own companies and the startups. You know, they, they come from my, my monies. I like luxuries. Uh, I, I like vehicles. I like to travel. I've traveled a lot. Um, and, and I've spent my money well on that. But at the end, in Spanish, I say, uh, el dinero no es todo. Para un taco de frijoles nunca va a sobrar. So I've had a lot of money and then I've had no money. And then I've kind of stayed in limbo to kind of make it work and, you know, have that success again. Right. And at the end, I know for a fact that what I stay and what I keep close to my heart are the lessons of the failures. And that's what makes me stronger. And that's what makes me keep on going. And that's what makes me yet again successful because I keep those, you know, here on my pocket. I don't forget. I don't forget where I came from. I don't forget where I'm going. I don't forget my family. I remember my grandparents a lot. As a matter of fact, I have had one of my grandmas uh, in my mind a lot and I, and I really want to go and see her. And so I stay very, very close into my roots because nothing is guaranteed. You know? And so live a day at a time, enjoy to the fullest, be spontaneous, let the control go. And money is not everything. What makes it everything is the experiences that you do with the money that you do have, right? So, but think about it. You can make an amazing experience with $10, $10,000, $100,000, or a million dollars, or $10 million. It, at the end, it's what you make out of it. Mm-hmm. And what are some of those core values and beliefs that you align your businesses to? So when you're bringing on new people now in your, in your companies, what are some of those same core values and beliefs that you're saying, this is important. This is what leads us. This is what drives us. Yeah, definitely. I stick to a culture, eat strategy for lunch. I learned that in MBA school and in, in, in a leadership book and I'm 100% all for company culture and everybody that comes into my company, I let them know that You know, I like to form a family. We're all professionals and we're all ethical. I'm not there to micromanage them and watch over their shoulder, but I need them to do their job, right? Because I do find out that something's not checking off, right? Then, you know, I have to call their attention, but more like this is the company. This is where we're directed. We're all in a box. But we're like jellos. So move like a jello, be creative like a jello, do what you have to do, make sure that your day goes right. Because if somebody's day isn't right, I prefer to have people go home because they're feeling sick or they're feeling sad rather than leave them in the office. Really? Yes. I tell them, you know, I have full blown uh, flexibility on that. Of course, you know, I I make sure that I tell them, but don't abuse it. Yeah. Never had you know, major issues of people abusing that policy. But I have a, a policy that's flexible like that because I want to make sure that my people are feeling right. If mm-hmm. they feel right, then their job is going to get done right. And uh, if people are feeling kind of off and they're sick and they need to be home, well, they need to stay home. You know, I'm not going to lose more or gain more for having one person out for a day when they're trying to fix their life or get together or you know, or they're in Vegas and they really feel like they need to stay the Monday because they need to <laughs> the weekend. Cool. You know, just do it. Me a call say, hey, you know, I really feel like I need to stay an extra Monday. Okay. No problem. Have fun because they have fun. Then they bring the fun and the joy back to my companies and then processes are a lot better. And when people are happy, 
you know, things are just done better and done right and productivity rises. And Perla, how do you have fun? I have a lot of fun all the time. What is your um, favorite things to do? Like how do you um, decompress and, and unwind? So my daily mojo is having coffee and listening to music. Like I, I, I need to go through that like an hour. Um, but in that hour, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the phone, right? And then I hang around a lot with my family to have fun. And uh, we have like carnes asadas, cookouts, you know, we call them that. And, and, and listen to super Mexican music. <laughs> and then how else do I have fun? Oh, you know, just enjoying a good dinner. Nowadays, you know, we haven't been able to travel for a long time. Usually I travel like once a month or twice a month, you know, take like two, three days, short trips somewhere around the country or to another country. But, you know, that hasn't been the case. So, you know, these days going out to a dinner and having a good time. Is, yeah. Is and what about being a Latina in your position and being in philanthropy, being an investor now? What is that like? Or do you find other people uh, willing to help you? Is the world in that level nice and open? How has that been? Yes, yes, yes. Um, the Latina uh, is, is like a, a, a super like vibe thing going on right now all, all around the world. Like Latinas, right? Oh, you're a Latina. Yeah, come on board. And so right now, I think that we're all reaping the effects of the Latina vibe, right? Companies want to work with Latinas, um, organization, foundations, organizations, and the Latino community is finally coming together. So being involved in philanthropy and donating to thousands of Hispanics around the, the country has been a grace and a joy for my profession, for my passion, and for my livelihood because uh, people open doors to us. Like we have people with doors open in line to be able to want to, to work with us, right? And, and, and being able to have us come to their city and, and, and do a donation drive for several thousands of people. So uh, I think that right now is a great time for Latinas to go out there and kind of uh, take off the dust of the people before us, the Latinas before us that were having a hard time, the Latinas that paid their dues to open the doors for the next generation, which I greatly, greatly appreciate because I think that we are on that rise. So to all those women that knocked doors that were rejected, that fell on their knees and got back up and said, I'm going to fight for my education. I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going to fight for better employment. I'm going to fight for equal pay. I want to let them know that there is Latinas, many, many, many hundreds of thousands around the world that are reaping the effects of the price that they paid. What's the kindest professional act that's of kindness that someone has done for you? There's many people that uh, I call my mentors or my godparents because I feel that everybody needs, no matter who you are, where you're at, what kind of financial success you have, you always need another lending hand, period. Like you always need somebody else to help you. When I started my company and um, those two daycare centers opened their doors to me, that was a lending hand to my profession. You know, when I've been in uh, the furniture industry. And I had a designer uh, lead me through, you know, how, give me more knowledge that I didn't know. That's a lending hand in my profession. When I was in the uh, fashion magazine, 
um, those artists that took their time to say, well, Perla, you know, we create and we think at night. And this is not something that you know, but there's something that we do. So when we submit the editorial magazine at 3 a.m., you know, deal with it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't take it. Um, those are the, all those are people that added value to my profession. When I started speaking, uh, I decided last year in 2019 that I wanted to start speaking. And so Jackie, great Jackie Camacho was one of my lending hands, you know, that said, come on, girlfriend, I'll take you into the speaking world and I'll open up some stages for you. And then six months later, we'd been in nine countries speaking in nine different stages. And that was too cool. And then in Chicago, too, uh, I have another madrina uh, by the name of Nelly Rowland. She's uh, the founder of A Safe Haven. And she was like, Perla, why don't you come and speak to the people in my center, right? And she deals with people that are struggling through homelessness and abuse and and, uh, things of that nature. And I flew in and I spoke to all those people. And it was like, oh, my God, what an awesome opportunity. And then recently... Uh, Claudia Romo Edelman, the founder of We're All Human, with the initiative Hispanic Star, where we want Hispanics to be heard, seen, and valued, she gave me the opportunity to be the director for the hubs. So that gave me the opportunity to develop the network of hubs around the country, along with support from her team of We're All Human. And now, you know, thanks to that professional opportunity with what I created, and she allowed me to creatively envision and launch, we have helped over 280,000 people. And we're on trend to help at least 2 million people next year. Wow. There's always an opportunity and there's always somebody that will be that door that you need. And what about personal? Like what about that personal act of kindness that you still remember to this day? Do you have something like that too? The personal act of kindness the first one in my whole life came from my parents. You know, when my parents decided to, I remember, you know, one of the things and uh, that they they always put me to the challenge. So it was always great that they had me around them, right? Unknowingly that I was learning all that business acumen, you know, from seeing my mom, you know, make a sale to cut a deal with a contract and or, talk to her employees about the future of the company, right? Mm -hmm. That was like the best act of kindness they could have done to me because that's how I learned the best. Yeah. The other act of kindness also, I would say, came from my parents when um, they decided to gift me my first car and say, Perla, are you ready for this first car? And I said, yes. They said, okay, well, this is the first car that we're, it's going to be paid. We're going to give it to you and we're never going to give you a car again. But if you like this car, make sure that you work really, really hard to stay at that level of vehicles. And that was a huge act of kindness because they gifted me a Cadillac CTS at the time, which was, you know, a brand new car. It was like a, I think that was in 2004 or something. And uh, the next car that I bought, I bought myself in 2008. But that was a great gift because that was a gift that gave me like, the challenge to be able to be on track, to know that I needed an education, to continue at least with that same level of car. And um, they didn't have to do that. You know, they didn't have to give me that out of their savings or, or, or their company and pay for that, you know, luxury car for a 16 year old to have. And yet they took the risk on me. 
And now it's my time to reward them. So now I give them vehicles. Oh, well, Perla, thank you, because I consider you uh, someone who's uh, helping me understand and learn more. I say I want to be an entrepreneur because I still I'm still working. I'm still a full time employee, but I have this passion. I have this dream. um, And this is my way of making this happen with podcasts. And so coming on and help and sharing your story definitely adds value um, to my life and, and hopefully to the people who are listening as well. So thank you for that. No, thank you for sharing. Thank, thank you for allowing me to share my, my knowledge with you all. And like I said, not everything that I say pro quo is 100%. These are just like, I'm offering your ingredients. Yeah. So, so that you make your own cake, right? Yes. So you don't have to like all the ingredients, but if you choose some from me and some from somebody else and some from somebody else, soon you'll have your own amazing cake that you'll be able to taste the success of I will thank you thank you take care you too all right thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine if you like this show and want to know more check out Tuesdayswithandrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section until next time please stay kind in your mind nice on the web and stay hella hopeful in your heart <laughs>